The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory be to you, Lord. The the multitudes asked John, what shall we do? And he answered them, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than is appointed you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all men questioned in their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he were the Christ, John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. It might seem rather confusing as to why the Gospel today ends in that manner, right after John the Baptist speaks about the Lord having his winnowing fork to clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, he says, he then continued to give them the good news, right? Doesn't seem like good news, this unquenchable fire uh, in which there will be burning. But it's how we have to look at that in terms of what is happening, especially in this season that we are in, but also in the person, as we have looked this week, of St. John the Baptist and of the prophet Elijah. Advent is another time like Lent. It is a time in the desert. And so we spend time with the two prophets of the desert, Saint, uh, Saint Elijah, the prophet Elijah, and also Saint John the Baptist. And so these two great prophets of the Lord, dwellers of the desert, as some commentaries call them, these, these mighty prophets of God, and what their purpose is, is to prepare hearts for the coming of the Savior. But in order to prepare the hearts for the coming of a Savior, the first thing that has to happen in our heart is we have to recognize that we actually need a savior. We cannot rejoice at the coming of something that we have not longed for. And so in order to rejoice, normally what happens is that there is normally a long expectation and a desire for the thing that we rejoice in. We are happy or we are joyful with lesser things that kind of come and go on a daily basis. But we rejoice exultantly as we are called to today when we receive something that we have longed for with ardent desire. 
And so how do we increase this desire for a savior? Well, part of it is a painful process. St. Teresa of Avila, she says that experiencing the mercy of God is a painful process if it is truly experienced as mercy, right? Because to experience mercy means that you know in yourself that you need mercy, that you need mercy, that you have no recourse to justice, but you have only recourse to mercy. And that is a painful place to be. And so we break in this season of Advent today with Gaudate Sunday, we break from this expectation and this knowledge of our sins, knowing that we deserve God's punishment, but we rejoice because the answer is coming to our sinfulness. The answer is coming to our need of a savior and that is the savior himself. And so it is a painful process of preparation in order to increase in our hearts the desire for Christ himself because it has to begin first with an acknowledgement of the need, which means that we have to acknowledge our sinfulness in all of its depths. We have to ask the Lord, and that's what we do in the season of Advent and of Lent, to shine a light into our interior and show us the things that are not pleasing to him. And that's not a, a comfortable thing to do, right? It's not something that brings us peace. It can be painful. What happens is when we actually spend time with that, with the Lord and in our prayer, asking him to open up and show us the things that are not pleasing to him, that can be a very painful process. And so what we see happening in the gospel today is that John the Baptist has been baptizing and everyone has an expectation of the Savior. So at this time, in and around Jerusalem and Judea and all of that area, they're expecting because of the uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, they are expecting at this time that the Savior will come. And so they are looking for him. And they see this austere figure, this person of John the Baptist who leaves everything. He, leaves a, he leads a life that is so different from everyone else. He goes out into the desert and in the extremes of his penance and of his suffering, many are drawn to him to be baptized with his baptism. And so what's happened is all of these multitudes are now coming out to John the Baptist with this question in their hearts, is this the Christ? Is this him? Is this the one that we're supposed to follow? He's by the Jordan. His birth was announced in the temple. Both of his parents are of priestly lineage. This might be the Christ. This could be him. And so they go down with this question in their hearts, but you can see that some of them are prepared for his baptism and others are not. What has happened just before this is John the Baptist has been very severe with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they come down to him as they will to Christ as well with this pretense of righteousness. They come with this exterior manifestation of religion and, and piety but interior he perceives, interiorly he perceives their hypocrisy. And so he is very severe with them. You brood of vipers, he calls them. You brood of vipers. So those who are, are living in this state of hypocrisy, but what is especially tragic is that they do not recognize their need for a savior. They are self-sufficient. They are self-righteous. They have saved themselves. And so St. John the Baptist hits back at this type of hypocrisy, this self-righteous behavior, he hits back at it very severely. 
And so he calls them this brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming judgment. And yet to the multitude, he is different. To those who actually recognize that they are sinful, to those who have sincerely come to John the Baptist desiring his baptism because they acknowledge their sinfulness. Those who come to him and ask him the question, what shall we do? We note a completely different change in the disposition of St. John the Baptist. He is not severe with them at all. He doesn't rebuke them. We have the publicans and we also have the soldiers there those who in that time were known for either their extortion or their cruelty. And yet they have come in this repentance of heart with sincerity, looking for, well, what should we do? And so he doesn't tell them, leave everything and come do what I'm doing. Live in the desert, live this extreme austere life, eat locusts and honey. He simply gives them the exhortation to go and be perfect in your state in life. Be perfect in your state in life. To the multitudes, he gives a more general principle. He says to them, and he gives them the principle of almsgiving and love of neighbor. And that applies to everyone. Whatever you have two of, give of your surplus to those who have not. So that is that principle of almsgiving and love of neighbor as yourself. Then to those who come to him for more particular professions, the tax collectors or the publicans, what does he tell them to do? He doesn't say, stop being publicans, stop being tax collectors. It's interesting. He tells them instead, take mo no more than is appointed to you. Stop defrauding the people. Stop being an extra burden to the people, but rather make sure that in your occupation, you limit the burden on the people to the extent that, is, it is, that it is imposed from the greater authorities. And so he says to them, collect no more than is appointed you. Simple, in their daily life. Practical things that they can do in their daily life in order to show the acts, show exteriorly through works of faith what they have come to believe. And then the soldiers come to him and they say, what shall we do? And now those, the soldiers, obviously they have been given a certain position by which they can use violence against the people wrongly. And he tells them, do not use the power and authority that you have been given in order for self-gain. You have been given a position to protect the people. Do not be then a source of violence for them or by false accusation. And so the soldiers are called also in their state, not to leave their state and become like John the Baptist, but to stay where they are and to move slowly towards perfection. He doesn't set the bar too high. He doesn't set the bar too high. He just gives them the first steps. And this is also how the Lord works with us. The first steps, just acknowledge our sins, our need of a savior, and then also through the grace that the Lord gives us, through his sacraments, through his presence, this is why we rejoice. So this time of Advent, where we come to acknowledge our sinfulness, where we come to acknowledge our need of a savior so that our desire for a savior increases, so also this is why we can rejoice, is because as, as much as we need him, he is even more abounding in his grace and in his love. Our need is far outstripped. It is so far 
outdone by the Lord himself. He comes with abundant remedy. He comes with abundant love. He comes with abundant healing. That is our rejoicing, is that as painful as it is for us to acknowledge that we need a Savior, we rejoice when he comes because of the beauty of our Savior. That he is not someone who just comes and visits once, but actually remains with us. And that is the call for rejoicing to daughter Zion, as we see in the first reading, because great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel. That's what we sing today as well. Great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel, this Savior whom we come to long for, Jesus Christ. We are as well, we are, should be struck by this love and this awe with which we see in St. John the Baptist. He knows that he is mighty. That's always interesting to me. He says, there is one who is coming. He doesn't say who is mighty. He says, who is mightier than I. He knows that he is mighty with God, strong with God's grace. He does not deny that. But he has such a holy reverence for the coming Messiah, one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this same Holy One, the longed for of all the nations, the longed for of all those who know that they need a Savior, he is still in our midst today. Jesus Christ, present here in the Blessed Sacrament, saving us by his grace through the other sacraments, baptism and confession, restoring us to his grace, drawing us to himself, so that as we come to know our need of him, he then responds to that need with great love, with great love, with great healing, and with great grace. Amen.